Hello and welcome to Deep Impact, a problem of the Doof Network where we dive deep into Wabo's most reflective work five years on. Coming up next is Elliot Diebold. And that was Ruben Morehouse. And we are back to talk about Malfeasance 11.3. Uh, before then, remember to get your entries in for the fan art competition. Now on to the show. Uh, <laughs> yes. So um, our last chapter ended with Evan, with Blake kind of freeing himself from the mirror with his cool card tricks. And uh, now he's been joined by Evan and they flew out the window and flew away um, out to the town, basically just looking to start a fight. And they can uh, kind of hear the bell ringing now that they're outside as well. Yeah, they're just a pair of troublesome youths. Yep, out um, on the town. You know. <laughs> uh I mean, interestingly, Blake quickly points out that they, they couldn't hear the bell in the house uh, and, and they think it's due to the runes, just sort of providing more evidence that Rose has no excuses. Yep. Uh, yeah. But um... I, I do really like the the bell, like how it's in the background of of sort of everything now. Like, I, I feel like it's yeah. going to be ringing for the whole arc. <laughs> for the it, rest it, of the story. <laughs> um i I don't don't know about that one but um like it's it's such a cool sort of undertone like you can see how it would just particularly after a while the repetitions like it would just keep you on edge Mm. yeah yeah it's it's a weird little beat isn't it where we kind of we heard the bell ring and mags was like oh it's ringing 13 times but it seems like it's just ringing like it's just ringing forever um which is spooky yeah that's the impression (laughs) i got this chapter yeah yeah um so interestingly, the the impression that I got at the end of last chapter was uh, that the house was under siege, like right now. But Blake <laughs> and Evan just head outside and are like, "All right, let's fuck some shit up." Like it seems like the house situation isn't as urgent as Rose's urgency kind of led us to believe. Uh no, you're right. I I came into this chapter with the same expectation that the Bahames were like twenty meters out the door. Uh. Uh, like I, I thought the house was literally surrounded right now um but i guess it, it makes sense they've got all these rules for you, you know the, these rules of war going on yeah and so of course presumably uh alistair has has come and declared what war. wait yeah. declared uh, that he's going to attack so it's that's very sort much of his style is isn't out. it <laughs> yeah so so it does make sense but like i definitely yeah i came into it with this impression that it was like it had already started. Yeah. Um, but no, it seems like there's still some time. Um, interestingly, while they're kind of f- flying around, uh, Blake's playing with one of the coin reflections that he got uh, last chapter, but he's really bad at doing that thing where you run it through your fingers and he keeps dropping it. So it's just a fun beat of Blake being a goofus. I've never tried it, actually. I don't want to make fun of him because what if I can't do it? Yeah, it's harder I'll than to- you'd think. I'll have to try it. Um, yeah, it was interesting because this bit definitely draws your attention. It gets it, it gets a fair bit of attention in the first few paragraphs. Yeah. And so it had me wondering exactly sort of why Walbo included this. Yeah. And I'm not 100% sure that I have like an answer I'm confident in. I think it's maybe just something to do with him being a bit like clumsy because we sort of see that he, <laughs> the rest of this chapter, you know, well, he's down a few spirits. Yeah. And... And then he spends most of this chapter just kind of uh, jumping headfirst into stuff again. And I wonder if it's somewhat symbolic of that. Mm. Yeah, that's a fair read. It's interesting to think about why this bit is here. I think that's a fair explanation of what it could be saying. Um, Um, Yeah, I hope so. 
Yeah. Well, actually, no, I don't, because <laughs> it's not. it doesn't bode well. Yes, no, I think not. Although he did catch the coin, because he drops the coin, then he catches it before it hits the ground. Yeah, it's interesting. Uh, there is a bit later where he's kind of, he's a little nervous about falling off of the edge of a windowsill, I suppose, is the best way to describe it. Um, so mm. so maybe that's what we're doing. We're setting up a clumsy Blake, the new type of Blake. <laughs> um, so Blake and Evan uh, have a run-in with a pack of somethings i'd say <laughs> they're 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 like living doll mothers with uh feral babies so it took took me a few reads to kind of understand what exactly these things were it seems like the mums are just kind of like you know mannequin-esque things that are just there to carry around these creepy babies yeah um i, I mean blake ties them specifically to changelings yeah. i actually read a little bit on changelings and We've already got something else booked in for our bonus bit today, mm-hmm. but uh, if these things come back, it'd be interesting to do a monster corner on changelings because uh, it seemed pretty interesting. Yeah, I'm so glad we're back in Jacob's Bell and we can do monster corner <laughs> some of these weird things that we keep seeing. Yeah, um, yeah. I love that Evan uses the term like mumbies. Yeah, because like, do you reckon? That's something he heard from, like, his parents growing up, or if the Cabal's having a bad influence on him. Cause... Who would the Cabal have called a mumby, though? Maybe, um, I don't know. It seems sisters like something Rose... or something? Yeah. This seems like something Rose would say about, like, uh, one of her aunts or something, you know? Yeah, yeah. Maybe. I don't know. Um, whatever it is, he's... Someone's having a bad influence on him, and it's probably <laughs> Blake. <laughs> um so yeah it's interesting again thinking about what the purpose of these things are in this chapter slash arc um because we don't really have a showdown with them they just kind of serve to emphasize hey things are starting to build up and and pop off um yeah it adds to that feeling that there's just others everywhere and they're just walking around in the daylight like interacting with human people who don't process them yeah uh yeah you're right it really gives that sort of sense of just there's others everywhere in this town yeah. right now. Town's getting Evan, a bit crowded. Yeah, it's something Evan talks about a lot, but this is a, a good, like, show-don't-tell moment. Yeah. Um, and then, uh, of course, there's another bit where Evan and Blake connect on the fact that they don't really like feeling cooped up. Mm. Uh, and then Evan goes on to say that, you know, he, he can't just sit still while, like, Ty and his friends are in danger because, like, that, you know, who could do something like that? And I was like, God, these two, like, uh, dare I say they were made for each other, like... <laughs> Yeah, it's or just, they're rubbing uh, off on each other is the other way of interpreting <laughs> that. They, they really just are two peas in a pod, these two. Yeah. Like, everything Evan was saying, I was just like, God, that's Blake to a T. <laughs> yeah, they're a good combo. Um, so Blake basically says, you know, show me the way, let's fuck up some behames, and Evan leads the way. Um, and they come to this behame house, and Blake just starts ripping into the house itself, <laughs> finding more excuses to hate the behames. It's great. Uh, it's, a, it's a fantastic little uh, self-monologue, though. Uh, like, There's a bunch you could sort of talk about. Um, uh, the way, the, the, the stuff Blake says about almost wanting to backslide after getting <laughs> off the streets is mm. super interesting. Yeah. Uh, and then, you know, he talks about everything to do with, like, his perfect house and, uh, yeah, I don't know. Like, I, I really like this as just a, a great character moment for Blake. Yeah. No, it's a, it dives into Blake's uh, psyche a little bit. But the thing I really like about it is Blake gets so upset by how 
I guess, little pride they take in their things, whereas Blake has had to fight for everything that he owns. These guys just have a house, they have a car, and, you know, it's all kind of junked up. You know, the car has trash sitting in it, and it's just a, it's just a symbol of how much Blake hates them, I suppose. Yeah, well, it's a bit of that privilege thing. Like, right, right from the start, the Bahames have sort of represented the old money uh, practitioner family, you know, and and here they're talking about who inherits the wealth and, yeah. and, and all that. And uh, I think it, it just sort of reinforces that whole idea uh, here as, as we as we get into hearing the elders discuss said inheritance. It's uh, just, yeah, reminding us that these people have a bunch of money and, and they're in a very good position and Blake has to fight for scraps. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. It, it really just, like... There's no situation where Blake doesn't hate the Bames, right? He, like, everything <laughs> about them just rubs him the wrong way. It's quite fun. Um, yeah, they're definitely his worst enemy. Oh, his nemesis, nemesis, mm. whichever the plural of nemesis <laughs> is. Yeah, no, they totally are. Um, so Evan uh, busts open one of the windows, and finally we get Blake doing some good eavesdropping. It's great. <laughs> I know we took 11 arcs. Yep. Um yeah, uh, so quickly before we, we jump into, like, all the bombshells that are sort of subtly dropped on us in, in this conversation, uh, I just wanted to pull out one line where, um, just just before, when they're sort of still looking at the house, Blake thinks to himself, as much as I wanted to see what was going on, that wasn't the important thing, was it? Mm. And then he just goes ahead and asks Evan to open the window. So there's this, there's this moment where he hesitates, he thinks, this isn't what I really said I was going to do. Like, he wants to eavesdrop and gather information, but he's meant to be going and fighting whoever is, you know, planning on fighting uh, Rose. Mm. And he doesn't know that it's the Bahames at this point, I suppose. He oh, finds he knows it's out. the Bahames. He doesn't know that it's these ones. Right. I, well, yeah, I guess. I don't know. I mean, if it's... You're right that he does know it's Bahames. He doesn't know it's Alistair specifically, right? No, not Which yet. Which he learns over the course of this chapter. Um, but if I if if I hear, oh, Bahames are going to attack the house, I'd basically just go spy on the nearest Bahames, right? That feels <laughs> like an okay plan. Um, yeah, yeah. Well, it is just. I think he immediately sort of pegs it as the older ones who are just talking, and, yeah. and sort of knows that these aren't the ones who are about to attack. But yeah. he still decides, and I mean, it's the right thing. Like he sort of trusts his gut and. Yeah, I mean, it, it works. works. Yeah, this, this goes very well. This conversation is so juicy, right? There's so much good stuff in here. Um, yeah, I, we can't talk about it all, or maybe we can talk about it all. And we'll just be here for a long episode. Um, <laughs> I think the first thing to talk about is the Bahames are very much aware of and very much on board with, um, seemingly, Amon's plan to break the wheel, uh, which revolved around trying to free subsequent generations as much as possible. Um, and they, they're kind of talking about it out in the open as if it's just a common thing that they're all kind of on board with, right? I I got the impression that there's sort of a... There's a general sense that it's like, oh, you know, we'll... we'll uh, specific, it sounds like they alter the exact deals of, of who can do what with the power each generation anyway based on where things are at. Yeah. Um, and then it doesn't seem like Eamon was working with anyone or really confided with anyone, but they've sort of figured that he was doing something because yeah. they've all noticed that Laird and Alistair are, are these two who are, they've had like basically none of the restrictions. And so, you know, Eamon has set these two up as incredibly important is what one of them says. Yeah. Uh, so it, it's almost, it doesn't quite seem like they're all super on board with it. Yeah. Um, I don't know why Ben certainly seems to be yeah uh, 
It, well, inter- well, actually, no, he's not because he's not on Alistair's team. But he, he's on he's on board with like the concept of breaking the wheel. But he doesn't seem to necessarily want to follow Eamon's way of doing it. I guess. Yes, he definitely doesn't want to follow Alistair, which is interesting because so this is Ben from the car when Blake was just chilling in the back seat of a Baham car. That yeah, was Ben which and Gloria. Blake, Blake, Blake doesn't bring that up at all, right? No, like, does he I, make I wonder, that connection? I'm not he sure if he makes to. that connection, but it's easy for us to make that connection because it's Ben and Gloria and those names ring a bell. Yeah. Um, no pun intended. Uh, but, uh, and <laughs> it, it, the, this thing's interesting because Blake basically overhears Ben repeating the same arguments that Blake was making to him back to the rest of the family. Yeah, it, it, it reminds me a lot of what like said in the car and also some some various bits and pieces that we've said as well yeah uh when ben sort of starts to go off on his big speech about how practicing is the worst uh, yeah it's it's um it's it's really interesting and seeing the rest of the behames and how they sort of react to it where none of them really call him wrong but they're like it's too risky which is just yeah they kind exactly. of exactly it it feels very much like they conceptually agree with him but kind of aren't really listening enough to go along with what he's saying uh, yeah i mean the potential of alistair is just sort of too enticing is the impression i get yeah. like the he's yeah yeah he's just so cool um <laughs> yeah so uh interestingly one of the things ben says to the rest of the behames is we can't afford to make a bad decision for the head of our family not for the third time in a row which is basically word for word what Blake said to Ben in the car. So it, it it seems like Blake's arguments have really, you know, been taken on board. Yeah, but what's interesting about this is I think Blake was counting Duncan when he said that. Yeah. I don't think Ben would be because it does kind of sound like at at best Duncan is a sort of interim leader. Mm. Like he, he's the he's the stand in until they elect the actual leader. So I get then the who impression. Who are the three? Laird, well, I think Alistair. Ben's talking about Eamon. Interesting. Interesting. Um, yeah, which is very interesting considering, you know, how they've just talked about everything Eamon sort of has set up here. Like, you know, and there's very much implications that they at least suspect that Eamon used some future site to uh, maybe choose Laird and Alistair. So, mm. yeah. Um, I don't know. I- I'm-, I'm very interested to see. Well, we basically need another Rose Senior and Eamon interlude. <laughs> like, that's just what I need. <laughs> yeah, I'm... Yeah, yeah, yeah. <sighs> Who knows? Who knows? I mean, maybe Eamon's uh, cachet was kind of lost over the course of his time, or, or at least lost with some behames. Yeah, I mean, I could believe it, yeah. Mm. Um, so the the other quote I wanted to pull out here is, is obviously we get this little uh, line thrown in that Laird got himself killed, attempting to repay a favour he shouldn't have asked. Mm. And I'm wondering exactly what they might be referencing here. Mm. Uh, Again, this comes back to the whole Laird's motivations and where they fit in with the whole Eamon and Rose Senior business, because that connection still never quite clicked for me. Like, we somehow went from Eamon freeing Laird of most of his responsibilities to Laird somehow being the most trapped, according to Sandra, and then sort of giving his life away. So I just... Mm. There's there's some real mysteries for me about about Laird, and I feel like this is our first hint at, I don't know, what that might be. It's interesting. The the simpler read, I think, and the one that I took from this, was just kind of, yeah, Laird went up to Toronto because, I mean, as we know it, Duncan fucked up in Toronto, and Laird was there to smooth things over, helping out Conquest, and then you know, got killed over the course of that, obviously. Um, 
So the interpretation of that from this line is that Laird, you know, was kind of repaying Duncan for doing stuff, for, for taking care of Blake in Toronto and helping him out and then just died during it. Um, I don't know. Maybe there is a deeper meaning to this, though. Yeah, I don't know. that Because, like, I considered that, but I don't know. It, does, it doesn't quite fit right to me. I don't know. Yeah, maybe I'm just but... maybe I'm just got too much tinfoil on. I don't know. <laughs> no, fair enough. Um, the tinfoil stuff does sometimes pay off, obviously. So <laughs> we'll see. Um, of course, every single sentence that's uttered in Pact has at least four levels of meaning that are revealed over the course <laughs> yeah, of the story. Exactly. So <laughs> might as well try and start uncovering some of them now. Um, cool. So uh, Blake and Evan are eavesdropping, and then they get interrupted by somebody, something, a cat. A cat familiar. And it's so fun that this is a cat because Evan's there as a bird. And as soon as something spots them, you're like, oh, okay, this is, is this a bad situation? Like it hasn't immediately set off the alarms. What's going on? And then we find out that this familiar is a cat and it's just like, oh yeah, okay. Evan's fucked. Mm. Like there's no way it's a cat and Evan's a bird. Like there's no way this isn't going to go badly. Yeah. I mean, wait, it invokes that, you know, really basic imagery of like Tweety Bird uh type yeah. stuff like you're right it immediately sets a sort of not hostile but as in this other familiar is really going to be the one who's got the power here yeah and, it, i mean it, he does yeah it straight away kind of sets up like this familiar can take evan like that's the shorthand of what cat v bird means yeah. right yeah pretty um, much yeah. so this familiar is called kranaus 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 i believe kranaus um, sure. And as Blake speaks with Kronaus, uh basically the conversation ends up being just Blake kind of convincing him that he's not a piece of shit. Um, and Kronaus listens and then is kind of won over to Blake and ends up giving him some some helpful hints. I'm going to go with Kranaus. Kranaus. Sounds Kranaus. pretty Greek, doesn't it? Yeah. Anyway, I, f- I think Kranaus is super fascinating. Uh I mean, there's a, there's a couple of things he talks about that I want to touch on, but like the first one is Kranos specifically ties how shit the, the world of practitioners is right now to the discovery of the new world. Mm. And I mean, considering, um, considering how old he must be, if he legitimately is the, like the original Kranos, I mean, I guess we've got to sort of take his word for it. Most other old things don't really like to talk about it. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, like so, I I don't know. It it I'm not a hundred percent sure what I, what to do with that information. But it's a super interesting idea because obviously, like the discovery of of the Americas changed, like you know Europe, um, as well as obviously the Americas. Mm. Um. So yeah, I I don't know. I guess I just don't know enough about the history of that time to weigh in. I gotta I gotta go. Hit, hit the history books i guess um but like i like my first instinct would be that you know the discovery of the new world uh probably rewarded the the wrong types of practitioners especially how how a lot of things kicked off with the natives of that continent mm. um also those continents um all right you know and obviously it spread like western culture which um was you know compared to compared to a lot of uh native american cultures is is a lot more like capitalist basically even even back then when it was you know had kings and stuff so yeah i don't know i i'm i probably want to sit on this even more because i don't feel like i have i don't feel mm. like i fully understand the implications of it but it's super interesting that 
I, like Cranaus is really implying here that the practice isn't inherently bad. It seems to have taken a particularly negative turn in the last 500 years or so. Mm. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's kind of, I, I would kind of make an analogy of things like the development of agriculture leading to humans actually being able to provide themselves with, with more food after a while. But then if you extrapolate that out to the extreme, you get capitalism, which obviously has its own, mm. you know, set, unique set of problems just because of the massive scale that humans can operate at. Um, yeah. It, it kind of gives me a similar vibe where like, oh yeah, practicing in isolation is fine, but once it becomes a global practice, just problems that you couldn't imagine start happening. Yeah, maybe if somebody who's better at history than I am, like, can call me out on this being wrong, then then please do. But like, the discovery of the new world sort of lines up with the with the uh, like Renaissance and the and the Enlightenment sort of sweeping mm. Europe, right? So maybe Cranaus is, you know, sort of conflating those two things. Like maybe it has just as much to do with the sort of Renaissance as it does with specifically the spread to the new world. Because uh, obviously that was a pretty big cultural shift in in Europe. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I guess we can't really know the answer to that question. All we can really <laughs> know is maybe we'll get some more interludes about it at some point. <laughs> yeah, I mean, this just really has the gears turning in my head, and and I, I I just don't know exactly what I what I'm thinking about it right now. But it's super interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, it is interesting. I and I love like one of the interesting things about Cranaus to me is. The the writing style that he's written in, before we find out that he's basically a Greek hero, um, I, I kind of got this vibe that he I, I was expecting him to be a sphinx, which to me is is an interesting testament to the writing quality because he has this same like ancient Greek vibe that Isadora had, um, which mm. of course wasn't because he was a sphinx, but because he was a different kind of ancient culture thing, right? I, I just I just yeah. love that idea. I mean, yeah, he's he immediately strikes you as kind of ancient and yeah, uh, not just wise, but kind of you know thinks he's as wise as he is. <laughs> uh, yeah, which, which you know, as you, as you said, Isadora gives off very similar vibes. Yeah, um, yeah. I, actually, I mean that that sort of raises a point where sorry, I'm I'm, I'm jumping back a bit, but it, as humans sort of conquered the world, mm. right? It's sort of been said that they, you know, only the meanest and toughest others are left because, you know, the weaker ones have got got already. Yeah. And I wonder if, if you know, it's it's sort of part of that prey-predator cycle where it's like, you know, if you get rid of all the nasty, if you get rid of all the crappy others, so you only have the nastiest others left, then that also rewards the nastiest and, like, oh, the nastiest practitioners and stuff the most. Mm. Like, I wonder if that's one of those things where we've... Uh, you know, cut down on on the available others for people to interact with that aren't shit. So the all the practitioners have to interact with the others that are shit, and so they're all becoming shit by proxy. <laughs> I mean, could be. It could be. Uh, does this indicate that um, Johannes is is doing the right thing here by I mean, trying would, to fight big capitalist other systems? It would seem to indicate that he's thinking in the right direction. So you're right. I take it. I take it all back. Mm, we'll see we'll see <laughs> um yeah uh no it, it's interesting um so also can we can we talk on the idea that these cats Cranaus and, and hylas who joins them shortly after they are so willing to give blake so much juicy information <laughs> like they're they're ripe and ready to betray their their uh, companions but not technically betray them i mean it's no, funny of course. That they give they give everyone so much shit for how devious practitioners have been but they're like 
doing exactly that here, aren't yeah. they? Like, no, they like, totally are. Just, just strictly following the letter of the law. Uh, I mean, yeah, if we go with this whole thing of like how familiar relationships are like marriages, it seems pretty clear that these two are uh, a case for adding divorce to that thing. Because, yeah. uh, I mean, Cranow specifically sort of talks about how he liked uh, whoever he's attached to when he was when she was a child but now that she's like grown up they don't really see eye to eye and it sort of um yeah you know, it's sort of a testament to why some of this stuff you you can do it wrong yeah i mean they they definitely seem like they've grown to be not on the same page which is not great for a lifelong commitment yeah exactly um i um, also like how cranow see like almost immediately pegs that like blake seems like someone who shouldn't exist like it really sells that whole he's very old and, and wise thing <laughs> uh, that he's just sort of immediately like, huh, I, I don't know. I get the impression that you, you just like shouldn't exist. And Blake's like, fuck. Like, Got me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, but I mean, overall they do sort of seem to be, I mean, basically it seems like they kind of agree with Ben mm, uh, and thus yeah. with Blake. And that's why they help him out really is they sort of test Blake and get the impression he's pretty much on board with Ben. So they, decide that he's worth helping yeah yeah definitely um which is i mean there's no other way to see it than a betrayal of their companions right but you know no, but not technically yeah of course not <laughs> technically but whatever um anyway yeah so krenaus and hylas basically tell blake that the behames have a secret weapon up their sleeves and this whole conversation where they're deciding between alistair and timothy is saying who should be able to use this weapon? Who are we going to let use this weapon? Um, and it does seem like it's going with Alistair. Not not just because people don't seem to be getting on board with what Ben's saying, but also because it just seems like in a story like Pact, where literary tropes are real, manifest as reality in the world, it just feels impossible for a major antagonist to be called Timothy instead of Alistair. Like, <laughs> Alistair is just a better practitioner name, and Timothy is, is you know, the name that they give to people in Monty Python when it's meant to be a joke that their name isn't very menacing. <laughs> so, I, I can... I can it, it's hard to imagine that Timothy is going to get the weapon here. Well, so it's interesting, like, the, the concept of the weapon seems to, t- yeah, seems to tie directly to being the head of the household. Yes. Right? Um, yes, which is, I mean, is that necessarily true? Like, if they give Timothy the weapon, it's hard to imagine Alistair seeing of him what we do towards the end of the chapter, just being like, all right, I'll just follow you, Big Tim. Like, it doesn't, I don't know. Yeah. It might I cause, mean, knowing, a, like, a divide. Knowing how riddly people like Cranhouse can be, maybe, like, the weapon is just the ability to control the behemoth power. I yeah, true. Uh, but yeah. Um, yeah. He, I mean, I mean, you're right. Like it's, it's going between Alistair and Timothy. Uh, Timothy does not seem like the safe bet, but I suppose if Blake can uh, get in Alistair's way, then maybe things will swim, swing Timothy's way. And that name will go down in generations as one of terror. Yeah. Um, and interestingly, the cats also tell Blake exactly where Alistair is. So it's just like, they're totally just setting Blake up to go and fight him, which could just be a full-on <laughs> trick, but who knows. Um, Alistair is meeting with the junior council, um, and also Alistair's the one who's going to attack Hillsglade House. So Blake basically is like, all right, well, let's head this off. Uh, I'm going to go deal with him. Yeah, uh, so we get to finally see like the junior council from Blake's side of things, which is nice, because uh, <clears throat> it does seem like they're going to be important uh, as things head forward. 
And uh, sort of, again, there's another one of these decision points, like Blake decides to press forward and, uh, you know, again, sort of has that moment of, oh, is this what Rose would want? Mm. Uh, and this time he's good enough to write her a note. So, you know, I yeah. guess that's that's something. <laughs> no, it's a good trick, though, that he pulls. Like, he, he basically has this cover of a book... Uh, that's the reflection of the actual book back at the house. And he writes, he, not writes, he like cuts out a message in the book cover. Um, trusting that then the book cover at the house will also have the same thing. It, it seems a little too convenient. I don't know. Like it seems, it seems like it was hard enough for him to get the cards to do what he wanted. He had to smush birds into every single card. Um, <laughs> and I don't know. We'll see if it has worked, I suppose. I mean, Alistair certainly thinks it's going to work because he says that Rose is about to write back. Yeah, well, Uh, true. But, uh, I mean, I do just like how he's sort of, he's just carving into the book with the hyena and then he just pegs it across the room. It's like, hopefully that means the (laughs) other one just went flying. That'll take Uh, care of it. Now if I go. Yeah, it's it's such a Blake plan. Yeah, Uh, until Alistair tells him that it works. It's kind of the thing of like, he's just saying, that he's just doing it so that he can say, yeah, I tried to get in contact with you later. Yeah. (laughs) yeah anyway. for sure that was very much the impression i had uh but yeah i mean so you know apparently it worked and i mean this is interesting because he arrives in alistair's sort of like oh are you here to to declare war and honestly blake had not thought of that and neither had i and alistair said it and i was like shit that could have been really bad if you just went and attacked him without declaring so first yeah right i mean unless rose un- unless rose has declared that she will return return fire i guess yeah like one of those things it's like i declare war on you it's like no i declare war on you too yeah um so interestingly alistair doesn't ask blake if he's here to declare war he tells blake that he is here to declare war which is (laughs) a good distinction when you can't lie because like if as blake points out if he didn't declare war alistair would have just forsworn himself but alistair is so confident with his future predicting cards that he's like let's fucking do this and it kind of boxes blake into a corner where he kind of has to do it meaning that a a fight is about to begin it's like it's such a (laughs) badass move by alistair i really love it i i'm already i i already love hate uh, like you know love to hate this kid yeah he's such a fucking bame like i really missed laird as a villain <laughs> and, yeah duncan uh, just doesn't stack up in the same way does he <laughs> no this kid's already filling that niche but it's like he's also like uppity teenage smug bame yeah uh it's uh, yeah i'm looking forward to this fight very much this this kid i'm already loving how much i hate him he's yeah. so he's so smug in this little exit to the chapter it's great yeah, yeah, no, it's going to be fun. Um, yeah, so this chapter kind of ends with a, a battle starting off. Alistair says, you should go to class, I'll be a bit late, which is a very, like, smug, confident line, um, <laughs> which is backed up by the fact that he can predict the future. He doesn't say, I might be late. He says, I will be late, which is, I don't know, I just love it. Yeah, I love how careful practitioners are with their words and all this stuff. Um, I, I mean, obviously, you know, you, you got to... The thing about the Bahames that we've already seen is they can do some cool stuff, but they also use their abilities to act like they can do even cooler stuff. Yep. So it's like, he, like you, you never know how much Alistair's bluffing with what he's seen. And, and so, you know, obviously Blake's in with a chance here, presumably. I can't wait to find out. <laughs> yeah, and uh, I guess we'll see next time on Malfeasance 11.4. But don't be scared, we're not going yet, because there's more mythology to dive into, two in a row. Um, this time we're going to take a look at Kronos and Hylas, and who exactly these two Greek hero 
cats are. Yeah. So uh, let's start with Kronaus because he's the more boring one, in my opinion. Um, okay. Basically, he was a king in Greek myth. He reigned for eight or nine years. And uh, there's not much else, honestly. <laughs> he's got a few interesting factoids. Um, he was apparently molded from earth and brought to life as a lot of apparently the early uh, Greek mythological kings were. Um, was he the one who suggested... Uh, <clears throat> sorry, there's a bit where they talk about Evan becoming a firebird and these two suggest different elements. Is Kranos is the one who suggests Earth, I believe. Uh, actually, that's a good point. I, I, I didn't make that connection, but I'm going to do a bit of live fact-checking here. No, I just did it. Yeah, Kranos is the one who suggests Earth. There you go. That's, that's, that's a neat. fun connection. I didn't notice that. Um, good catch. Uh, other quick notes are there was a big kind of world-shattering flood during his time as king, um, and then his son-in-law came along and usurped him, and then he died. And that's kind of it. He's he's a background character in Greek myth, let's be honest. Um, um, yeah, which I think, like, you know, uh, something we haven't quite talked about is Obviously, the Bahames apparently took these these guys on as familiars because it's like, you know, the, the ancientness of the name and, yep. and like all that crap, classic Bahame crap. Yeah. Um, like they're, they're so obsessed with, with time and all that. Uh, but I love it because, like, these guys are clearly intentionally chosen to be, like, such minor Greek heroes that yes. you haven't really heard about them. And they talk about how, oh, you know, becoming gods was in the cards for us at one point but now we sort of have to be familiars and and you know the Bahames could probably walking around being like check out our ancient you know greek king <laughs> familiars yeah uh, like it's just so on brand i really like it yeah um well that's kronaus but hylas actually genuinely is more of a major character i mean you don't recognize his name but he actually is somebody <laughs> um he he basically was a, a a young guy who was uh, heracles's friend and companion and then eventually lover um so he's he played with the greats short to say um, yeah that, that's that's a pretty that's a pretty good one for the I old mean, resume yeah heracles is the greek hero right so, yeah exactly yeah um so interestingly the the backstory to this is heracles was out one day and came across hylas's dad whose name is theodamas 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 uh came across his dad like plowing land with a, a, a plow that was driven by these two bulls heracles was hungry so he killed one of the bulls and ate it understandably theodamas was upset and kind of started a fight with heracles and then was killed. Mm. Um, so really, in this situation... <laughs> Who's the hero in yeah, this exactly, situation? <laughs> right? Um, then, of course, Heracles basically took Hylas, the son of the guy that he had just killed, as his, I mean, arms bearer, slave, maybe, is is kind of written in there. I mean, not... I don't think that's how they would say it, but, you know, his page, which is not necessarily a, a super you know, nice position to be. Um, but eventually they seemed to become quite close and, and became lovers. Um, I can see why Kranaus was the one who was talking about how much worse things have gotten in the world in the last 500 years and not Hylas, because yeah. Hylas is probably listening to this going, um, no, things were pretty shit yeah, two thousand years ago. shit, yeah. <laughs> I had to end up shacking with the guy who killed my dad to stay alive. Like, ooh, <laughs> that's pretty gross. Um, uh, so Hylas, I mean, I don't know. I, apparently they were affectionate towards each other um so hylas uh, comes with heracles on on the argonauts voyage so he, he's an argonaut so he's a proper greek oh, that's hero cool. yeah exactly yeah one of the minor argonauts but it's you know it's still put yeah, that on your resume I'd take i would it. say yeah um so but on the journey hylas was kidnapped by some nymphs and basically never seen again 
<laughs> so Heracles kind of searched for him for a long time, but eventually just gave up, theorizing that Hylas had fallen in love with nymphs and just was going to live with them from now on. Which, there was precedent, because apparently Hylas' dad, Hylas was born from his dad, a human, and uh, his dad had shacked up with a nymph. So, you know, like father, like son. He's a, he's a Dionysus plant. That's what I'm taking out of this, Hylas. <laughs> you never know. Could be. Um, but <laughs> anyway. Know, but, uh, that's... anyway uh, yeah, that, that's interesting. Like, uh, uh, it's really cool that Wabo included or you know, managed to find and include two very low-tier Greek heroes like this. Yeah. I mean, how do you, how do you represent that the Bahamas are the kinds of people who would be attached to the name and the idea of a Greek hero, but wouldn't actually have the clout to get a good one? I think we picked <laughs> some good ones here for that. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, that takes us to the end of our discussion on Malfeasance 11.3, uh, but rest, uh, rest happy because if you want to talk more about Malfe- Malfeasance, uh, you can do so in our discussion thread, which will be linked down in the show notes down below. Yes. And of course, if you want to learn more about DV Impact or any of the other shows on the Doof Media Network, you can head to doofmedia.com. Yep. Uh, at doofmedia.com, you can find all the other great shows on the Doof Media Network, including uh, my my personal favorite. I think I can say that. I did the Patreon survey, and this is the one that I listed as my favorite. It was <laughs> mm, What You Say, which is the uh, the newest podcast on the Doof Network. It's an OC deep dive, um, and it's very fun. So there's a new episode that just came out today. So if you want to check it out, do it. Check it out. Why not? <laughs> uh, yes. And of course, if you like mm, What You Say and all the other shows on the doof network and you want to try out that really fun survey ruben just mentioned yep. head on over to patreon.com forward slash doof media uh you'll, you'll see a list there of all the great perks you get including voting in the fan art contest and of course we need you all to sign up for that and help us uh you know stack the vote against the parahumans art when, yeah. when it comes time down with them um just to clarify because i know it, some people might be confused about this you don't actually have to be a patron to enter the fan art contest uh anyone can submit fan yes. art um and there is a cash prize for the winner so um yeah ch- ch- check out the more information in the uh in the episode notes down below and uh make, do your best packed fan art I'd, i know i'd love to see it yeah, me too. Like I've seen bits and pieces that are that some people you know been sending us as the show's been coming out, but yeah, it definitely seems like there's not as much uh, as as there is for you know something like Worm. So uh, it'd be great to see some more. And and yeah, as Ruben said, anyone can enter, but only patrons can vote. Yep. Um, speaking of patrons, if you'd like to become a patron to Wildbow, the guy who wrote this whole dang story, the place to go is patreon.com forward slash Wildbow. Um, and the best perk that you can get for backing Wildbow is a sense of joy knowing that you're helping to continue these awesome stories. Yeah, which is more than enough in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Uh, so apart from that, we'll see everyone on Friday, the 13th of September, for Malfeasance 11.4. See you then. 